0: The Stephen King origins and haunted house conventions notwithstanding, the director is so little interested in the genre for its own sake that he hasn't even systematically subverted it so much as displaced it with a genre all its own. And why should this come as a surprise? Who bothers to characterize Doctor Strangelove as an anti-war film, or sees Merit in rating 2001 A Space Odyssey as an outer space pick, or finds particular utility in considering Barry Lyndon as a costume picture? The Shining is a Stanley Kubrick film, and as such it makes impeccable, if also horrific, sense. Gays and Ghouls, I'm Sean Reedy.
1: And I'm Katie Toole.
0: And this is Friday Night Rights.
1: A podcast about peaceful seclusion, quiet reflection, and familicide.
0: (laughs) Shouldn't be laughing about that, but...
1: Probably not. No. I mean, that's what this podcast is. We're just laughing about things we definitely should not be laughing about.
0: Yep. As goes my life.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Happy New Year, everybody.
0: Happy New Year. 2021. woo now that we're out of that fucking year, yeah.
1: not that this year is going to fully be that much better, however. Right. Yep. The pandemic doesn't know what year it is.
0: Yes. Um, however, our expectations are at least like kind of on track at this point, hopefully for some of us, maybe not all of us.
1: <laughs> In the spirit of a winter ahead of COVID-induced isolation
0: Mm-hmm.
1: and i don't know where you live but here in michigan endless gray is oh, yes. the and, worst right uh we have decided that this would be an excellent week to tackle the shiny
0: yes but
1: first it is shock hour. <laughs> <laughs> tonight's shock tale is called the red rum Red rum. Red rum. (laughs) Red rum. Red rum. Sean, what's in the red rum?
0: The red rum consists of a shot of your favorite spiced rum. We used the Kraken. We used the Kraken
1: because it's delicious.
0: Because it's delicious. Um, And then a half an ounce of uh, grenadine. Mm -hmm. A few shakes of orange Mm bitters. And then you top it off with coke
1: yep basically a play on like a cuba cuba Libre. libre
0: mm.
1: cuba libre so i will say i should tell you out there in podcast land mm-hmm. that the idea to do the shock tales came to me because i wanted to make a drink called the red rum with rum in it for the <laughs> shining and then i was like what if we just do that every week <laughs> <laughs> And so plans welcome. are made. Yes. <laughs> the Shining is about a man who is at the end of his rope. Yes. Jack Torrance takes a job at as the winter take caretaker of a hotel in the Colorado Rockies that is forced to shut down due to the enormous cost of um keeping the mountain roads clear mm-hmm. from. The end of October to the beginning of May every year. Mm-hmm. Now, Jack finds the prospect of being shut up in a hotel for five months in the middle of winter in the mountains intriguing because he wants to write a book. Mm-hmm. Because this is, after all, based on a Stephen King novel. So of course the main character wants to write a book. Right. <laughs> <laughs> We should say that. Stephen King wrote The Shining in
0: 1977.
1: Yes. Uh, it is amazingly not set in Maine, but it does have a writer. So <laughs>
0: It's got to tie something in. It's
1: got It's got to be. You got to have one. Right. You either have to have, well, I guess it also has the kid. Right. You have to have children in peril. You have mm-hmm. to have a writer and or you have to be set in Maine mm-hmm. or all of those things. Right. But at least one of them is always present. Um, I would argue actually that, well, we can talk about this later, but I, I would argue that this is actually the film in, or no, this is actually the story in which Stephen King's, um, monsters are the most human, despite the fact that, like, there is actually a lot more supernatural shit that happens in the book than in the movie, Mm uh, it is still at its core about alcoholism and abuse. Right. Right? So, anyway. Um, so, he's trying to write a book. He takes his wife and son with him to the hotel. Mm-hmm. It is this giant, elaborate, gorgeous, early night, early 19th, early 20th century construction mm-hmm. um, from the golden age of the Mountain Lodge, right? <laughs> right. And... They settle in. Everyone else leaves. They shut it down. Um, Danny, the little boy, is touched, Mm -hmm. as some old grandmother from Georgia would say. I don't know why I said it like that. Um, He has what the cook of the hotel, who can also read minds or see the future or just have the sort of... Uh, a very general kind of psychic gift he calls it the shining which Mm -hmm. is the you know reference in the name of the book the and of the movie so danny feels the sort of bad vibes at this hotel
0: Mm
1: -hmm. and really the amount to which the bad things that happen are due to the hotel or due to jack is pretty ambiguous. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, so first Danny starts seeing ghosts. And then Jack starts seeing ghosts. Um, and then... Tension begins to build between Jack and his wife. Um, who is really the only one who is shown doing even one iota of work in this movie right which we can talk about later Mm -hmm. but eventually jack decides he's going to kill his family Mm -hmm. Uh, a chase through the absolutely like labyrinthal hotel and grounds Mm ensues including literally the labyrinth of the hedge maze outside right um And in a dramatic departure from the original ending of the book. Right. Wendy and Danny, Danny actually outsmarts his father. Mm -hmm. Manages to trap him in the hedge maze in the middle of a blizzard. Danny and Wendy, the wife... And mother escape Mm -hmm. and Jack freezes to death yes this is a horror movie you know we always we do the plot and then we do the deaths there are Mm -hmm. two yeah there are two Uh, the cook Dick Halloran Mm -hmm. who who is alerted uh, to the predicament that the boy is in via the shine right Mm -hmm. that the communication the sort of psychic communication He travels up to the hotel to check on them and Jack kills him.
0: Yep. Good old X to the chest.
1: Good old X to the chest. Really effective scene. I mean, like, you don't, because it's like, it seems like there's nowhere to hide. You know what I mean? Like, he's, he's, it's such a startling, like, I can't even tell you how many times I've watched this movie and I still jump (laughs) when Jack. Pops out because like it just doesn't make any sense right where where was he where did he come from how did dick haller not see him like that is a huge open space mm-hmm. um and uh and then jack himself of course mm-hmm. is the only other death there are there is reference to previous deaths Right, obviously right. the one of the most famous scenes in the movie is when Danny sees the little girls and then he also sees them lying dead and bloodied mm-hmm. in the hallway after their father has killed them with the axe. However, those aren't actually deaths that happen during the narrative of the film itself. No. There are only two.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I guess at the end it's just they escape and he dies. And
1: that's it?
0: And that's it. The end scene is is a slow zoom in, well, a gradual fade in, kind of. Um, Pretty of, sure it's a
1: tracking shot. It,
0: it, they'll, they'll gradually flip it's, forward though. Right. Yeah. 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 No.
1: No. No. There, it's like, there's a tracking shot and then a cross dissolve, which yes. is the entire movie.
0: Yup. <laughs> um, but uh, it is of Jack in the front of this photo that was taken in the ballroom Mm -hmm. at a 4th of July party in 1921. Right. And there is no explanation. None. There's no other reference that I know of, at least in the film to that photo. Mm -hmm. Um, There is an explanation that uh, Stanley Kubrick gives. I found.
1: Oh, really? Yes. I didn't And which like which
0: is what you would expect. Mm. It is what we discussed earlier, actually. So mm. it is that it is showing that Jack is reincarnated.
1: Oh yeah, I mean I think that's the I, that's the intuitive answer. Yes. I think is is that, especially given that there are a couple of different references to Jack having been there before. Yes. Um, when Grady is talking to him, and he. Says you used to be the caretaker. Mm -hmm. You killed your family. You were here. You were the caretaker. I read about it in the newspaper, which is interesting because he didn't read about it in the newspaper. Allman told him about it.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Anyway.
0: Yeah. There was never a part where he actually read the newspaper and saw him.
1: Unless he had 10 years earlier, but 10 years earlier he lived in Vermont. So would it have been a national story?
0: Right. I don't imagine so.
1: Well, I mean, I guess we don't know that he lived in Vermont 10 years earlier, but he didn't live in Colorado. They had just moved to Colorado. Right. Anyway, um, Grady says, no, sir, you are the caretaker. You have always been the caretaker. Mm -hmm. And then there's a scene when Jack, when he's still lucid,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um, explains that he had this incredible feeling of deja vu the first time he walked into the Mm -hmm. hotel. Like he knew what was around every corner. Exactly. Which would be difficult. Like specifically for Kubrick to put in the line, I knew what was around every corner.
0: Considering the setup of the hotel.
1: Considering that he designed an impossible hotel. Yes. Right? Like I I feel like that was also intentional. Yes. That like it would almost have to be peternatural for him to know what was around every corner because it's impossible to know what's around every corner because it changes. Yeah. Right? Um. Yeah.
0: So um, just to go over to the cast. Yes. um, Obviously. Right. So we do have, we have Jack Torrance, of course, played by Jack Nicholson. We have Wendy Torrance, played by Shelley Duvall. And then we have Danny Torrance, the son, played by Danny Lloyd. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we have Uh, Dick Halloran is the, uh, the, the cook, the cook. Uh, and he is played by Scatman Crothers. Um, we have Stuart Ullman, who is the general manager of the hotel. Um, he is played by Barry Nelson. Um, we have Delbert Grady, presumably slash Charles Grady, Grady. Mm -hmm. um, who is played by Philip Stone. Only, you only see him in the film as, uh, Dilbert Grady right um, and then there's of course Joe Turkle that is that plays Lloyd the bartender mm-hmm. uh, and Barry Denon, who plays Bill Watson who is the I don't remember who he is
1: he's he's kind of a he's kind of the manager
0: he's kind of like the the step below yeah, the general manager yeah
1: he's like if if Ullman is the general manager then you know I think that that Watson is probably in charge of like operations. Like maybe he's
0: the assistant to the general manager.
1: Yes, that is exactly, that's exactly what he is. assistant general manager, assistant to the general general manager. manager. Um, Now,
0: most of these characters, maybe not most, About half of these characters are maybe in the film for five minutes.
1: I was just going to say, and also we just listed seven people and like, those are your speaking roles.
0: Yes. That's it.
1: Everyone else is, is an extra essentially. I think there's Mm -hmm. a couple of cops when they radio in that have like a few lines, but those are, those are anyone who has any semblance of being an actual character in the film. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yep. And for the vast majority of the film, like you said, it is really just Jack Nicholson, Shelley Duvall, and Danny Lloyd. Mm -hmm. That is who you see.
0: Yep. You get a little extra uh, Dick Halloran. A little bit. A little bit of the, of Scatman Carlers. But, that's it. I mean, Stuart Ullman is gone after, I mean, he's literally just there to show Jack around. Mm -hmm. And then he leaves. And same with, same with Bill Watson. Um... Lloyd shows up semi-regularly. I mean, it's really just three times.
1: Right, and near near the end of the film. Right. There's this whole stretch in the middle where there's just nobody.
0: Mm-hmm. Which
1: makes sense in a film that is oh. about isolation. So if you've been listening to this podcast, you're probably used to us talking about how these films often have, like, $5 a stick of bubblegum in about six hours to get the movie made.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Not the case here. Mm-mm. By the time The Shining was in even pre-production Stanley Kubrick was one of the most respected directors in the world Mm -hmm. he could write his own ticket they were making a movie based on the novel of one of the best-selling authors in the world
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um and so they they pretty much had free reign um also Kubrick is a little crazy he's a little crazy so (laughs) a little bit just a little bit. Just a little bit. They had a budget of about $19 million, which is over $63 million today.
0: Just a handful of money.
1: Just a little bit. I mean, that is compared to the to the popsicle sticks we've been talking about. All right. <laughs> like, this was a major, major, major motion picture. Mm-hmm. And also, Kubrick's a little crazy. So, principal photography took over a year. You
0: know, no big deal. Just to...
1: Because he is that meticulous. Mm -hmm. Um, Total development took about three years. I think the only other film we've talked about that took this long was The Nightmare Before Christmas.
0: Right. And that's because it's a fucking... (laughs)
1: That's because it's claymation. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Right?
1: Like, this is a a movie full of human actors who can move all on their own. Right. (laughs) And it still took over a year to make it right um there are stories of the set from the set of actors and crew members being drenched in sweat
0: mm-hmm. by the
1: end of the day of of shooting for 14 or 16 hours a day of kubrick just making them do it over and over and over and over, and over again he's mm-hmm. so meticulous that's why honestly that's why I don't think there are any continuity errors. Right. Like anything that feels like a continuity error... Is intentional. In this movie, I feel like it has to be intentional. Yeah. Because just the sheer number of eyes mm-hmm. that looked at this and how long they looked at it, I just can't believe that that they missed anything with how obsessive mm-hmm. Kubrick was.
0: I mean, they, they literally... Shot that the bar scene.
1: Mm-hmm. The,
0: the for for uh six weeks, six weeks for one scene.
1: One scene. What is it? Not even five minutes. Long? Yeah,
0: like it's nothing. Uh, I know that like uh Shelley Duvall did not get along with Kubrick.
1: Did no, not, and that's not surprising.
0: No, no, no.
1: Um, you know he was a difficult man.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, she argued with him quite a bit. Apparently, she also was like physically ill. For months. Because of the amount of stress that he put her through.
1: Yeah, I believe it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you hear about the... Yeah, like I said, you hear about, like, people being drenched in sweat because... That's another thing. Like, the actor... Whichever bar scene we're talking about, the actor who played Lloyd talked about being drenched in sweat by the end of it.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: he's just standing there.
0: Right. He's, he's not moving.
1: Like, it's not a physically arduous scene. Mm-hmm. But... Just the, like, intensity with which Kubrick worked mm-hmm. made this man sweat. Right. Of course, he was also wearing, like, a wool butler's jacket, which yeah. was probably hot as hell. But... Yeah. That's neither here nor there.
0: Um, oh, and another fun thing, just to tie into a previous episode, this is also when Jack Nicholson was with Angelica Houston. Ah. <laughs> so they were together for a while.
1: They were together for a while.
0: I didn't realize how long they were together. Because mm-hmm. I was like, oh, girlfriend. Because they were together... Not that Did they ever get married?
1: I don't think they ever got married. I don't think they
0: did either. Um,
1: I think Jack Nicholson was really old before he got married, actually.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, another fun thing, too, mm-hmm. that um, he actually had uh, Shelley Duvall re-film a certain aspect of the scene where she's reading the script.
1: Oh, yeah. I was going to talk about that, too.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um just be like for all the different languages that it was that it was filmed for so uh they had different uh they had different um idioms used so like in German they put um never put off till tomorrow what may be done today in Italian they did the morning is gold in its mouth uh in french it was one here you go is worth more than two you'll have it which is like kind of a like a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then in Spanish, they did, um, no matter how early you get up, you can't make the sun rise any sooner.
1: Yes. That is, I think that's an excellent illustration of just how obsessed he was. Yes. Because he didn't have to do that.
0: No, he didn't.
1: Like, you, he could have just, there could have just been a subtitle I've mm-hmm. been like, this is what this says. Or they could have just written... All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy in the language. But right. no, specifically, did the research into common idioms mm-hmm. used to that, like people in the audience in that particular country would connect with and relate to. Right. And then made poor Shelley Duvall do that. <laughs> do that scene because that scene is draining i'm sure yeah. like that's an intense scene emotionally mm-hmm. right like she's just physically she's just flipping through the paper but like she's you know she's acting ballet, right right like <laughs> so i'm sure that it was exhausting to do that over and over
0: mm-hmm. so stanley kubrick of course released barry linden right um a film of his that i have yet to see I do own, which is a trend of mine. I like to own movies and not watch them. Um, Yeah.
1: So I do that with books. Yeah. Sean does it with movies. Yeah. It's just how it goes. Mm -hmm.
0: Um,
1: I don't think I own a movie I haven't seen. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I also own books that I've not read. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Two for two. (laughs) But um, while... While the reviews of Barry Lyndon were very positive in its cinematography and the like, it is a beautiful film. Mm. It is also incredibly boring.
1: That is what I've heard.
0: Yes. So when he heard this, he was like, "I need it." And it seems uh, some people say that it seems like even Stanley Kubrick himself was bored when making this movie. Um. I can s- see that. Yeah. So he decided that he is going to make a new film that is really going to capture his audiences Mm -hmm. and he needed to make the right one. Mm -hmm. So it's funny that there is actually a, um, a quote from his secretary at the time Mm -hmm. um, where he just had stacks and stacks and stacks and stacks of horror novels. And he, and it was like, he would flip through two, three pages of them and throw it at the wall. He's like, Nope, not writing it. And he did this continuously. Until suddenly she noticed that he hasn't, she didn't hear a book hit the wall for a little bit. (laughs) And that book that captured his attention was The Shining. I see. So the story, of course, held his interest. Mm -hmm. And he decided officially that he wanted to make this film.
1: Right. At which point he called the owner of the Stanley Hotel. Yes. Yes. Uh, which is where Stephen King was inspired to write The Shining Mm -hmm. uh, and a bucket list for every horror movie fan to stay in the Stanley Hotel, especially if you're also a fan of like actual haunted places because the Stanley Hotel is supposed to be one of the most haunted places in the country. It's just neither here nor there. But, (laughs) uh, and kept the manager of the Stanley Hotel on the phone for hours Mm -hmm. asking about every aspect of that hotel and of hotels in general and running a hotel and what would a winter caretaker actually do and what would it look like and what would this be and yada yada yada.
0: Uh, Stanley Kubrick sent um, a few people out to the hotel and had them stay there for several months, if I'm not mistaken, Mm. uh, focusing on the photography of the entire hotel but that may have been i think that wasn't that hotel i think it was the the um timberland timberline lodge
1: so yes okay i i do think however that you are you are combining two incidents but they both happened yes so he sent people to stay at the timberland yes for months to obsessively photograph the place that
0: was what i was thinking of
1: that he sent people to Colorado to the Stanley. Yes. To obsessively research Colorado. The, yes. And the history of the hotel, the history of the area, the mm-hmm. history of the state, mm-hmm. the history of the West. Um. So yes, both of those things happened. He right. sent like he sent out like reconnaissance parties to hotels mm-hmm. all over the West. <laughs> very Stanley Kubrick. This history. is very
0: Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> um. Well, and and most of this, like part of this, uh, like the, the exterior shots, some of them were of the Timberland Lodge, mm-hmm. um, which is in Mount Hood in Oregon. Right. Um, like some of the, the, the like zoom out the, the full panoramic Right. Shots. When you see the
1: whole hotel. Yes.
0: Mm-hmm. Um. And it's funny because the main entrance of the hotel that you see in those shots is not a part of the close-up shots in any other part of the film. Right. It's almost like he took when they built the hotel in the um, the EMI uh, Elstree Studios. Right. The um, sound stages. The yes. Um, it's like he took that middle section, which is which is again ironically the main entrance of the hotel. It seems, mm-hmm. and just like got rid of it. Right. She's like no.
1: Well, you also can't see the hedge maze. Right in, in those the... in those long shots because mm-hmm. uh, the Timberland doesn't actually have a hedge maze. No. Right. <laughs> so uh, these are sort of these are things that are a natural consequence of having like part sound stage set and part real life stuff mm-hmm. but it's also i think that part of it is that kubrick designed an impossible hotel
0: yes he sure did
1: and that was entirely intentional oh absolutely like, that was that was not a mistake cutting mm-hmm. out Cutting out whole sections of the hotel that you can see from the outside, but then you can't figure out where it would be on the inside. Right. 100% intentional. Mm -hmm. Um, And there is a scene where you watch somebody walk out of a hallway. Uh, As Jack is moving through the lobby of the hotel and into the general manager's office, you see someone walk out of a hallway that is sort of... Far off. Because here's another thing that, of course, Kubrick did in all of his films, but especially in this one, is that the the frame is just huge. Oh, yes. Right? Like, so it's it's way off in the distance that you see these people walking out of this hallway. And then you go, he walks directly into an office that you feel intuitively should be an interior space because of that hallway. But there's a window to the outside. Right. Right. Um you cannot make heads or tails of this building because, you know, uh, it is more represent- blah, 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 blah. It is more representative of the psyche than supposed to be an actual building. My interpretation of this film uh, has always been that it is about abuse. Mm-hmm. Right, that this is a very elaborate metaphor (laughs) for how abusive relationships work. Mm -hmm. Jack Torrance is an alcoholic. Yes. We learn that very early on in the film. Mm -hmm. We learn that he's not only an alcoholic, he is an alcoholic who has been violent while intoxicated before Mm
0: -hmm.
1: when wendy is describing the incident that injured danny's arm she says and this is so subtle i mean it's so subtle she tells the pediatrician after after a lot of A lot of sort of hemming and hawing, and oh, it was just Mm. one of those things, and you know, it could happen to anybody, and it's just this, you know, and he'd been drinking a little, and he just used a little too much strength, and he injured Danny's arm. She says, He said, I'll never touch another drop, Mm -hmm. and he didn't, and he hasn't had any alcohol in five months. Right. Later, uh huh, when. Jack is talking to Lloyd. He says, Here's to five miserable months on the wagon. So that is a true number. He hadn't had any alcohol in five months. Right. But that incident had occurred three years before. Uh huh. So the idea, at least what that tells me, is that he has fallen off the wagon multiple times. Mm-hmm. Right. That if he said, I'll never touch another drop immediately after he injured Danny's arm then why has it only been five months since he had me alcohol? Right. Right.
0: I am so glad that you caught that too because mm-hmm. I heard that and I was like, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. The timeline doesn't match up. That timeline is not how she put it. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because she was in a way very defensive of him.
1: As abused women are.
0: Yes. Exactly.
1: mm mm-hmm. um, So one of the one of the sort of hallmarks of abuse is isolation, mm-hmm. right? Um, the abuser will cut off, will find ways to alienate friends and family, which he already had because he moved her halfway across the country. Mm-hmm. A. Yep. And then B, moved her to a hotel in the mountains where it would only be them. Yeah. Right? And the boy, Mm -hmm. them and the boy. Throughout the film, there is not only an emphasis on how isolated they are as individuals from the outside world. There is also a strong, strong reference, like through line to how isolated Jack is from his wife and his son. Mm -hmm. You can count the number of scenes they are in together on one hand yeah in this movie that is about a family that is left with only each other's company right for an entire winter mm-hmm. you can count the number of scenes where Jack is interacting especially directly with his son mm-hmm. on one hand.
0: I just had a thought go for it this is it's still tying in, but I'm going to, I'm going to tie in a whole scene with this. Okay. Don't worry. (laughs) So
1: you can see that, but I just sat back.
0: (laughs) So there is the scene where, um, where Wendy is coming in to talk to Jack and tell him about how there's a storm coming in. Mm -hmm. And in, in the film, um, in the documentary room Two Thirty Seven. Um, They address the fact that in that scene, there is a chair that is sitting behind him, Mm -hmm. and suddenly it's gone.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Here's something that I'm thinking that may tie into it. Now, of course, this is all, you know, speculation and... um,
1: We're podcasters, so it's our job.
0: It's it's literally how it goes. Um, Speculation and conjecture. Um, (laughs) But... (laughs) What's interesting is is when that chair... So the thing that they acknowledged in the film, in the documentary, is that the chair is suddenly gone. Mm -hmm. It's there one moment. It flips back to Shelley Duvall's character. She is talking about how there's a storm rolling in and that it's gone when Jack starts to respond Mm -hmm. in a very, like, abusive way where he's like, what do you want me to do about it? Right. Like, yes. which is what, what, first off, what kind of response is that? Like, she's literally just telling you there's a storm rolling in.
1: Right. And honestly, you are after all the caretaker of this hotel, sir, despite the fact that again, we never see him lift one goddamn finger. We only see Wendy working at the hotel. We only see him working on his novel. Right. But it is the moment I, I agree with you. And oh, I think that that's. No, really, there's more. Oh, okay. Keep going. No, there's
0: a thing with the chair.
1: Okay. What's the chair?
0: So the reason that I think that the chair was removed at that moment is because that is when Jack removed his, her invite to the table. Sure. She's not allowed to be with him.
1: Right. I mean, he does, he, he when, says that.
0: When I am in this room, you are not to come in this room. Mm-hmm. Whether I'm writing, whether, I, whether, whether I'm not, it doesn't matter.
1: Whatever the fuck you hear me doing.
0: Do not come in.
1: I I agree. I think that that's, I think that that's like a a cogent analysis of that scene. I also think that the timing of exactly when they decide to um, go in tight on Shelley Duvall's face, Mm -hmm. and then you cut back and the chair is gone, is when she questions him. Yes. Or not questions him, but she stands up for herself Mm -hmm. just a little bit.
0: Right, just a bit. Right,
1: Like she says it, it's in the most sort of like gentle way. And just mm-hmm. like, oh, come on, hon, like, don't be so grouchy. Right. Right, And that is, that is what really sets him off.
0: Yes. Calling him grouchy.
1: Calling him grouchy. Call him grouchy. Right. Like, you know, I don't know. Significant other calls you grouchy. You're like, you're right, I'm in a shitty mood, I'm sorry. Right? Like
0: normal response,
1: normal, normal human response. Right. But she is, she is challenging him Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and that is what makes him really angry. Yes. His initial focus in the attack is not Danny at all. Mm -hmm. It is Wendy, right? It's only after Wendy gets away and he can't find her. Oh, no, I guess it's after he kills Halloran. And then he hears Danny screaming. Yes. yes. So he goes to find Danny. hmm But, yeah, I don't know. Like, the the focus of the violence in the past has been the boy. Right. Right? Like, you never hear, you never at least hear of any instance where he was physically violent toward his wife. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is when she decides to leave that he decides to kill her right and unfortunately that is the single most dangerous time for a woman in an abusive relationship is when she decides to leave Mm
0: mm-hmm
1: so that's that's been my sort of primary analysis of the entire film Mm -hmm. is even the impossible hotel right can be seen as um, a symbol of the instability that you feel when you are in an abusive relationship, that you don't know what's gonna be around every corner and that what you thought was there and what you thought was real and what you thought was this path you were on can suddenly diverge at any moment. Mm -hmm. Also, I think that In light of Jack's alcoholism, the Impossible Hotel, which he seems to wander around aimlessly, Danny and Wendy know exactly where they're going. Right. They walk with confidence. They never seem to be wandering aimlessly. They seem to know where they're going at all times, whereas Jack is almost always either just sort of staring into space in one place or aimlessly wandering around Mm -hmm. he doesn't even in the hedge maze the reason that Danny is able to trick him is because Danny knows that maze like the back of his hand right and Jack doesn't Mm -hmm. right and one could argue that that's just because Jack's been sitting in, the, in one room of the hotel trying to write his novel for the last however many, I think they end up being there for like a month and a half before all this happens, right? Yeah, I think Ish. so. But it also could be that they are just, that they they win essentially, right? They escape because they are of clearer mind. Right. Because even when Jack is crying out at the end of the film when he is trapped in the hedge maze. Mm-hmm. It's a very interesting acting choice by Nicholson because he is slurring his words almost beyond recognition.
0: Yeah, you at the very end of it, you can't understand it all. You what cannot saying. understand
1: what he's saying. Like mm-hmm. if you've got the subtitles, so you know what he's saying. But if you're not using the subtitles, you cannot. He's So that does two things. First of all, it sort of reduces him to the sort of beast, right? Like where he's just sort of vocalizing, Mm -hmm. but it also sounds like he is just roaring drunk, Mm -hmm. which adds to the question, is the hotel making him do this? Right. Or is he just a violent drunk in a rage? Mm
0: -hmm. But at the same point to that, Mm-hmm. If he is a violent drunk in a rage.
1: Mm-hmm. Where do you get the alcohol?
0: Where did he get that alcohol? Because mm-hmm. there's none there. Mm-hmm. They made it a point when, um, when Ullman is walking him around that there is not a single drop of alcohol in that hotel because it reduces their insurance.
1: Right. And he says, we, and Jack says, we don't drink very pointedly. Yes. However, counter argument. Mm-hmm. Addicts and alcoholics have secret stashes.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: So it's possible that if he is an alcoholic who has fallen off the wagon before, Mm -hmm. that he might have actually packed his own.
0: Mm -hmm. Tie into the fact that the hotel, quote unquote, provided him the alcohol. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's not real. But everything seems to be real. Yes. So his body is assuming that it's real.
1: Ooh, I like that.
0: And his mind is drunk.
1: I mean, I like that. Uh
0: huh. Mm <laughs> Mm hmm. Mm <laughs> hmm. It is a mental drunk, it is not a physical drunk.
1: Right, it's not, it's actually, it's just like a...
0: Which ties into his mental state and the abusive aspects of his personality.
1: Right, right.
0: Alcohol makes it worse. The hotel knows that.
1: This man is a failure.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right, like... He is not a writer. He's not a writer. Right. He he can't manage to write anything.
0: He's a failed teacher.
1: He's a failed teacher. When he is talking to Wendy after she she suggests leaving the hotel, and he frames not wanting to leave as not wanting to give up this job, Mm -hmm. right? He says, what am I going to do? Work in a car wash, shovel out driveways, right? Let's be clear. Having those jobs does not make one a failure, right. right? But it is clear that this man is not where he wants to. I just put my hand in front of my face. <laughs> it is clear that this man is not where he wants to be in life, and that he blames his wife for that. Yes, he says, "I've let you fuck up my my life this far." Right, right. It's like how 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 he, did she do he this? He blames her for not being able to write because right. she keeps distracting him. Right, right. And he goes on this whole rant, um. To Lloyd during the first bar scene, mm-hmm. uh, about how circumstances have been against him, essentially, mm-hmm. right. Um, but what I love about the gold room sequence and Jack's performance during it. I mean, <laughs> Nicholson's performance during it, right. They're both named Jack. Is that even though it's a vision or a haunting or all in his head, whatever, right? Whatever your interpretation of this is, Mm -hmm. he looks completely out of place. Absolutely. These are fancy people, the kind Mm -hmm. of people who can afford to stay in this hotel.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Right. These are the kind of people he wants to be. Which is why when he sits down at the bar, he like puffs out his chest Mm -hmm. and he starts speaking to Lloyd in this sort of weird, overblown voice, Mm -hmm. right? And then when he gets up and leaves the bar, he's kind of like, I mean, he's drunk, right? But he's kind of like swaying side to side in this sort of like. Trying to make it look like he's like loose and cool and and with it, but like he it, he sticks out like a sore thumb.
0: Right. Right. I mean, he's wearing blue jeans and.
1: Yeah, he's wearing work fucking, clothes. Right. Like he's wearing Some he's wearing work boots. clothes. He's wearing work boots. Right. <laughs> like he's he's wearing he's not wearing something that you would have worn to a fancy party in any time period, much no. less in 1921. Right. Exactly. Right. So. And even the the juxtaposition juxtaposition between you know, Delbert Grady
0: mm-hmm.
1: in his tuxedo mm-hmm. and Jack in mm-hmm. his work clothes as they are standing, even though Grady's the butler. Right. Right. He's calling him sir, mm-hmm. but he's classier than he is. Right? right. Right. So it's just, it's interesting how like these little things are peppered throughout the movie mm-hmm. because no one ever comes out and says it. Right. Right. But the fact is that the reason part of the reason. Um, well, I suppose, is this man a failure because he's a violent drunk or is he violent drunk because he's a failure? Right. <laughs> but like. Part of this man makes sense. Which speaks back to how much of it is the influence of the hotel. And how much of it is Jack's mm-hmm. just own psyche and personality and his right. tendency to do this anyway?
0: Mm-hmm. We know that principal to- photography took forever, mm-hmm. and there was all these different things that happened with the filming process for the actors. Um, a major um, thing that uh, that Kubrick used was a study cam.
1: Yes, and this was one of the first. So this is actually. This is actually a pretty technically innovative film. yes um, there were only there were only something like a half dozen movies at this point that had been filmed using the Steadicam. Mm-hmm. Um And it was very new technology, and not a lot of people used it. but it is absolutely the entire reason this movie looks the way it does. Mm-hmm. um. The reason that the reason that Kubrick was able to get all those gorgeous tracking shots, <laughs> which he loved, he must have like seen the camp for the first time and be like, like oh, <laughs> 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 I'm surprised he didn't invent it. Right. Um.
0: So, uh, so just to talk about the Steadicam like a, a bit. So, of course, like the Steadicam, it is a stabilizing mount. It's it's very it's kind of self-explanatory. It's very right. self-explanatory.
1: So, it I think the camera. only thing is that it's it's not the camera itself. No, it's something to which you attach the camera.
0: Yes, uh, and, and it,
1: it, you can like zoom it through mm-hmm. pretty much anything.
0: Yeah, it separates the um, like your like the operator's movement from the camera itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Garrett Brown was the man that invented the study cam and he was actually, um, he was very, very involved with this production. Right. And not only was he involved, but he actually learned from Kubrick how to use his own device.
1: <laughs> Which is... If that ain't a Kubrick sentence. I mean... <laughs>
0: To get a little technical, he used an 18 millimeter, 18 millimeter Cook lens.
1: I was I was going to bring that up, too, because yes. that is so wide. Yes. That is so wide. Like, that is... I didn't know that mm-hmm. until I was, like, reading this exact thing, probably that you're reading right now. And... <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that is why this movie looks the way it does. Yes. Like, that is why every single fucking shot is so wide. Mm-hmm. Because they were using, they couldn't have made it tighter if they wanted to. Right. Using an 18 millimeter lens. I mean, that's almost a fisheye. hmm Like, it's wild. Sorry.
0: Sorry. No, 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 no. Um... Well, and what's awesome with that is that they were able to get really close to, like, walls and doors and everything. So it was, like, able to move more fluidly within the, like, the area that they're shooting itself.
1: Right. Yeah. It was just, it was less cumbersome. Yes. In general. And also, there would have been, you know, not as much uh, distortion. Right. Um, that way. But, yeah. I think the most famous use of the Steadicam, of course, in... The film is the sequences of Danny on his tricycle. Mm-hmm. Like, that is simply, and you don't understand, I don't think, like, until you really start thinking about it, you don't understand exactly how hard it would be to film that. Yeah. Right? Like, he is on the tricycle, mm-hmm. he's moving away from the camera, mm-hmm. he's turning. Mm-hmm. So the camera has to like maneuver and, you know, it does it, it does it completely like seamlessly.
0: Right. And the reason that it did that is because they actually used a wheelchair
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> to, to uh, control the camera. I believe it was like a person sitting on the wheelchair and then they were holding the camera. I believe there was a
1: person sitting in a wheelchair, holding the camera, being pushed behind the boy
0: mm-hmm.
1: while they had the steady cam. Holding the camera about an inch off the ground.
0: Right. And there was a moment where the wheel exploded.
1: <laughs> right. They had to change out the wheels. Yes. Because this, the steady cam in the camera is pretty fucking heavy. Right. Plus the full grown person. Exactly. On the wheel. And the wheelchair was like, fuck you. <laughs> I'm uh, not having this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so they're like, okay, solid wheels. Got it.
1: Right. Which just goes to show, again, it's like, uh, what's interesting about that to me is like, they were also, you know... That was that was pretty risky Yeah, with pretty expensive equipment. And, like, uh-huh. they had a big budget, but, like, they also built a hotel. So that's We're probably where right. most of the budget went. Yes. Because, like, these sets are ginormous. Yeah.
0: Oh, my God. These sets are amazing. Well, and I love the fact that, like, Kubrick built all of the sets at the same time. So right. So they didn't have to, like, so they could actually film the movie in order.
1: Right. Which is not... Something that they usually do.
0: No, it's usually filmed in an order where you can use one scene, you film all the shots in that scene there. Uh-huh. Or not that scene, in the that set, setting. Right. And then move on to the next set.
1: Yep. Yeah, like the 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 fact that they filmed it in order, I don't know, that's just really interesting to me because it's such a, it's such sort of a weird thing to do. Mm-hmm. Like to go to all that extra trouble and expense just to film the movie- in order, especially when you have scenes that are taking six weeks. Right. You know what I mean? Like, there's such a consistency of the energy in this film. Mm -hmm. Like, the tension builds at such a steady rate. Mm -hmm. I just wonder if that had something to do with that.
0: Yeah, that they were actually able to... That they were
1: actually going through the story as it happened. Mm -hmm. Even if one scene was taking six weeks, it was still like, you had just done... The scene before this mm-hmm. right so you were still like you had that sort of immediate memory of the mindset you were supposed to be in if say you're jack nicholson right of the you were in the mindset of the nightmare still when you went in to film the bar scene right yeah i don't know it's... i just find that very interesting mm-hmm. and like i don't and like to do that with sort of you know little to do that kind of thing like building all the sets at once and and having the entirety of the the sort of entirety of the diegesis all existing at the same time mm-hmm. right is one thing when you're using like little sets right right like when you're said like a just a nice little like normal size living room or it's like you know you're <laughs> you're filming an adaptation of a fucking Ibsen play and so it's a, <laughs> everything takes place in like two rooms right, right. but like they built all of they built this (laughs) they built a fucking hotel
0: right and a hedge maze a huge one yeah
1: like it's not even like not even like bates motel like the fucking buckingham palace yeah right um
0: which i feel like probably ties into why they didn't actually add in the full entrance Mm. like i feel like they literally just didn't have the room (laughs) and they're like if we're gonna cut something cut the middle
1: yeah for sure
0: because it's the thing you're going to notice at least I at least mm-hmm. I would assume. Mhm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cuz watching it on its own you don't fully notice it. Cuz the only no, time yeah. you see it is in the the like completely zoomed out panoramic shot.
1: Right. And the 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 layout of the hotel already makes no sense. Right. So like you would probably be so focused on the fact that there's like a window showing the outside where a hallway should be for example. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. That you wouldn't even notice that the main entrance to the building is gone. Right. <laughs> right. <like laughs> Roy Walker was the production designer on this film. And it is absolutely phenomenal. The carpeting alone. I mean, the most famous thing about this movie, besides Jack Nicholson saying, here's Johnny when he axes his way through the door, is the carpeting. That mm-hmm. is the most recognizable thing about this movie. Right. Is the carpet. Mhm. And it's not the only like the hexag the hexagonal carpet which mm-hmm. is the most famous one. Right. Is not the only crazy carpet and the- there's also like the peacock carpet.
0: Right. Which I really l- want to address too. Okay. And tie in to another like little thought process with that room itself. Okay. Um that they do call that room some people call that room the sex room. Mhm and peacocks. And if you look at the the shape of the carpet, it's very similar. The pattern itself is very similar to the the pattern that's out in the hallway. It's just right, rounded. It's just more rounded. Yes.
1: Oh yeah, no, I ex- I know exactly what you're going to say. That but is very phallic shape. It is very phallic. It is yep.
0: very phallic, it is very sexual um and it makes sense for that room. I feel mm-hmm. like that was absolutely intentional.
1: Mhm. Right, I mean, especially if you look at the hotel as a manifestation of Jack's psyche. Right. Right. Obviously, there's going to be a room mm-hmm. in the hotel of any one psyche that is about sexual desire. Right. Right. And I, th- I think that that makes sense that that room is is that, for sure. Absolutely. Um, but also, on a on a more, on sort of a, a less, a less theoretical more like physiological Mm -hmm. um note about the carpeting is that both of those designs are so incredibly disorienting
0: oh absolutely to
1: you i mean they would be if you were walking through them but especially the way that kubrick shot it Mm -hmm. because you have these these wall-to-wall with these giant patterns carpeting and most of the time you cannot see the walls. You can only see the carpet, Mm -hmm. right? Because it's shot at a downward angle. Yes. So you can't see where the carpet meets the wall to give you any kind of like spatial reference point that you're in a room. Mm -hmm. You're just in this pattern. You're just in this sea of color. Yes. Right? And shape. Right.
0: Right. Which is especially uh, prominent in the scene where Danny is playing on the carpet with his trucks.
1: Yes, exactly. You see nary anything but the boy and the carpet. Mm -hmm. And the scale of that pattern compared to the boy. Like, that is one of the things about the hotel, about the Impossible Hotel Mm -hmm. thing for me, is that it's impossible to gauge how big things are. Yes. Like, there are times when it seems almost infinite, and like crazy huge. And there are times when it seems much too small. Yes. Like even the snow drifts, right? Like yeah. the snow drifts change from covering almost up to the roof line. Right. To now suddenly they can walk out the front door. Right. Right. And then it looks like, you know, from the way that it's shot, and maybe it's because this is such like a, a wide shot. But the way that it's shot when she puts Danny down the snowbank, mm-hmm. it looks like they're on the first floor. Like that snowbank doesn't look high enough right to be as high as they are in the hotel because mm-hmm. they're in their apartment, which is on the third floor. Right. So and then there's also there are a couple of, and again, this might be this might be just a product of, again, those sort of built sets versus real world location. But there are moments, even when they're doing the tour and they're walking in front of it when he, after he shows them the hedge maze, that the hotel seems too small. There are also moments when Danny is riding his tricycle through the hotel mm-hmm. that suddenly the hotel seems smaller. Right. Which is interesting because so much of the film is establishing the massiveness of the hotel and Mm -hmm. the the emptiness of the space around them and then suddenly for just a second everything will come in real tight yep right because even though it's huge they are trapped there Mm -hmm. right so there there is this sense of claustrophobia in this building that it would be virtually impossible to be claustrophobic in i mean even the fucking pantry where she locks him is massive right it's like the size of my apartment (laughs) 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 my apartment's very small but still for a pantry it's really big
0: it's really big
1: um and i i i hesitate to think that that wasn't intentional because this is stanley kubrick right right and i mean he's so meticulous i mean principal photography on this film took like over a year
0: yes yes (laughs) it's insane insane. (laughs)
1: um
0: i mean which is again very stanley kubrick
1: it is it is but that's what i'm saying is like (laughs) that's what i'm saying is that he does not miss things right Right, like there are not, there are not mistakes. Mm-hmm. There are not continuity errors in Kubrick's films. No, because he he is just combed through them
0: mm-hmm.
1: with you know a, a nano nanoparticle meter, like not even a fine tooth comb. Right, <laughs> smaller <laughs> than that, electron microscope. Okay. Well, and and really
0: quick to that point too, with the mm-hmm. specifically with the shot, which I want to talk more about the shot of, um danny riding his tricycle through the hotel oh absolutely but we will but there is an absolute intent with that to specifically show you the space of the hotel and give you more of a more of a understanding of the layout even though it doesn't make sense
1: right well but that's the thing it's like the layout at the beginning when you first see him riding through and everything is still relatively normal, right? Right. Is a square. Jack's a little grumpy. Right. They're they're kind of bored. Mm-hmm. Other than that, everything's fine. It's just a square. Right. And as the film goes on, as you see subsequent uh rides, which I believe they actually also do touch on this in the 237 documentary. Yes, they do. But his routes get more disorienting. Yes. Right? Like, you see the deterioration of the logic of the space mm-hmm. the further into the film that we get. Right. The further
0: up the hotel that he goes. Because he's also, going up each floor.
1: Yes. The closer to the place where the murder happened. Right. And the closer to room 237.
0: Mm-hmm. So, one thing that I wanted to touch on really quick, too. Uh-huh. Well, one other thing that I want... There's another thing that I want to touch on. But... Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about the music of the like the entire score of the film.
1: Oh yeah, for
0: sure. Which I know that in in one aspect in the previous episode that you did address.
1: Yes. So this is the the Ray is basically the entire theme. Yes. of the shining. Mm-hmm. But, you know then. Bam 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 bam. I can say this cuz it's not it's a Gregorian chant. Nobody's going to say me. <laughs> <laughs> um I think this is probably the most famous example of that yes. being used because it is so prominent. Right. I mean, it is right it is, there. It, it is, is literally, the, th- it is the theme song for the movie. Right.
0: Um, so while Stanley Kubrick like kind of picked out, I say kind of, he did pick, he chose the music for this film. Mm-hmm. However, um, the music editor, uh, Jordan's Gordon Stainforth, mm-hmm is really the reason why the music is so effective mm-hmm. because he's the reason why the music he's the one that put the music in the exact spots that they are mm-hmm. and if there's one other thing to this film that is as effective as the cinematography it is the music
1: it is the music it's the sound
0: it's the overall sound of it yeah and it's it's the the any sound effect that is within this film whether it being any sound at all or nothing yeah is a is incredibly effective mm-hmm. even to the moment when um when uh dick halloran is showing um is showing uh jack wendy and danny around mm-hmm. and go i think at this point it's it might no i think it's all of them I think it's all three of them. Okay. For some reason, I'm thinking it might not be Jack, but I'm 99% sure that it actually is Jack. Mm-hmm. Um, when they're in these, the like the dry storage, when they first walk in there is when the music starts to escalate.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And you don't really understand why. Right, why that room? Right. And it's absolute foreshadowing.
1: Mm-hmm. It's foreshadowing. So it's, it's why that room? That's also the first time that Danny realizes that Dick... Also has The Shining. Yes, because he hears him talking to him. Yes, when and he's like he's talking to his mother about fucking mm-hmm. baking soda or whatever, and then he's like asking him if he wants ice cream. So like you can clearly see that the words coming out of his mouth and the words that Danny are hearing are not the same words,
0: mm-hmm. right? Um,
1: but the the buildup of the music happens so far beyond that moment, like so so far before that moment, right? Like it really is that room.
0: Yes. Well, and that's why I think that they do it that way instead mm-hmm. of it being just in the moment where where um, Dick Halloran is is shining to Danny mm-hmm. and and talking to him telepathically. Mm-hmm. It's starting in that room because that is where Wendy traps Jack. Right.
1: And where... Jack decides to kill them. Yes. Like, I don't think that he has actually made up his mind that he's going to kill them until she does that Mm -hmm. because that is the moment where she tells him, like she has said, we need to leave. We need to leave. Yes. That is the moment where she says, we are leaving you here. Yes. Like I will bring you a doctor Mm Mm-hmm. I am taking my son and getting out of here because we are in danger. Mm -hmm. And at that point, Wendy has no thought. Well, I mean, I guess she like, she does believe Danny Mm -hmm. that a crazy woman in the bathtub tried to strangle him. Right. But then she's confused because Jack tells her there's nobody there. Right. Right. Um, But she now at this point believes and believes correctly that the danger is her husband. Yes. That they are in danger, which she has felt for a while. Mm-hmm. But that the danger is, in fact, her husband. Right. It's not some crazy lady in room 237. Exactly. Because she's a ghost. A naked ghost. A naked ghost. Very naked ghost. Mm-hmm.
0: She's very naked, very wet. In the tub. In the tub. Why am I talking into my wine glass? Sorry. Folks. <laughs> Got a little
1: echoey there for a second. Don't know why. My bad. Um. I mean, you are generally naked and wet when you're in the bathtub, so
0: usually that's how it goes. I mean, fair. Mm-hmm. So just to tie back into the scene that we're currently watching, one of the one of the multiple scenes of of Danny riding his bike through the hotel. Um, I absolutely love the fact mm-hmm. that they were able to, which I would, I I know that that's part of like recording, but they, they were able to fully isolate the noise from him going from the hardwood to the carpet. Yes. Like it's just that noise is so effective.
1: Right. Well, because I, th- I think we talked about before the use of silence in this movie. Yes. And What breaks that silence is critically important, Mm -hmm. right? For example, the fact that the extras are not talking in the Gold Room sequence. Right. Right, like that... Everything is so meticulously placed, Mm -hmm. including the sound. Right. Right. So whether it is... Whether it is the tricycle on the hardwood and then the carpet and then the hardwood and the carpet and that does absolutely <laughs> <laughs> and that does absolutely build attention
0: mm-hmm. yeah
1: because you're like oh God that noise and then you're like oh it's gone oh God it's there again. <laughs> right like the the you know the going back and forth sort of um oh another um Another scene where I would point out that same effect mm-hmm. of them being very careful with like the silence and what breaks the silence mm-hmm. is Jack throwing the ball at the wall. Yes, there is no other atmospheric sound mm-hmm. during that sequence. Not like
0: dead silence.
1: Yeah, it like it switches from. I believe it switches from. Wendy and Danny outside, Mm -hmm. into Jack throwing the ball, into Wendy and Danny outside, Mm -hmm. right? So you have Wendy and Danny, again, this ties back to how isolated Jack is from his wife and his son. Right. That you have Wendy and Danny laughing and talking to each other, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: right? Wendy and Danny have conversations, I mean, it's the kind of conversations you have with a six-year-old, which are simple, but but... it's still a conversation. Mm -hmm. Then you switch to Jack alone, throwing something at a wall. And not just throwing something at a wall. So, like, you have the sound, Mm -hmm. which is jarring, Mm right? Right. You have the action, which is not only violent to begin with, but becomes increasingly more so. He starts throwing the ball harder and harder and harder. And he is throwing the ball, even though he never hits it, he is throwing it at the wall that has the buffalo head in it.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Right? So of all the walls in this giant building, he is throwing the ball at the wall that has a representation of a living thing on it. I don't know what else to say about that besides it's gorgeous. <laughs> it's just so good. <laughs> well, and it ties
0: into his, his downfall, into his animalistic mm-hmm. self.
1: For sure. Right. Yeah. It's, not, it's not a deer. Right. It's not a fox. It's not, well, I mean, I guess a fox would maybe also make sense. Well, maybe not because he does, he does go sort of bestial. He doesn't yeah. go cunning. Mm-hmm. like he doesn't he's not subtle about it
0: right the only other thing that would make more sense would be like potentially a, a i don't know bear a and bear even then, like a
1: bear or like a bull yeah a bull it's like but it's like a buffalo right so it's mm-hmm. like the so it is it is this sort of like aggressive right um i mean obviously buffalo just kind of stand there but like when they get aggressive they're aggressive they're right? aggressive. Like headbutt and shit
0: well and it ties into the native american aspect of the entire hotel
1: right yes i mean yes Mm -hmm. the entire place is decorated extensively in native american motifs and Mm -hmm. they actually talk about that quite a bit yes um when they're going through on the tour Mm in the first place (gasps) so good so good oh um... oh and also in that shot fuck Every time I watch this movie in that shot. So go back. Can we go back? Yeah. We don't have a remote. It's not a real TV. <laughs> <laughs> I can go back though. We watch these movies on a computer yes. in case you're wondering why is said that. So for those of you playing along at home, this is not a fact, in fact, a scream along.
0: <laughs> it is not.
1: But we happen to be watching the scene where the snowstorm starts. Wendy and Danny are outside um, having a snowball fight and jack is inside staring at something the lighting makes it look like he's staring out the window at them mhm but you don't actually know that for sure because they never do they never do a reverse shot to show what he's actually looking at right like i said the the light the light on his face looks like this kind of soft light that would be coming in the window during a snowstorm but right. doesn't mean that's what he's looking at right <laughs> So there are two things that I want to mention about that scene. First Mm -hmm. of all, again, we have Jack isolated from his wife and his son. Mm -hmm. Not only that, there are multiple scenes where Wendy and Danny are playing outside. Once Jack enters the hotel, we never see him outside until he's chasing Danny and he dies. Mm -hmm. We never see him leave the hotel. Not even to go, like, work on the snowcat or anything. Right. Right. Because Wendy's doing all the work. But. <laughs> Secondly, I was just talking about, we were just talking about that buffalo on the wall. Mm-hmm. Right. So Jack Nicholson's face just looks like a bull. Right. Mm-hmm. So he has that sort of, that very famous where, like, he goes down, he does the eyebrow thing, and, like, he looks terrifying. Mm-hmm. You can see the buffalo behind him. Yes. Like, they, they placed him very carefully. hmm That it looks like, A, he hasn't moved from that spot. Because that was the same spot he was standing when he was throwing the ball at the wall. hmm So he is literally, has has just stopped. Like, as a person. He has mm-hmm. just stopped. And also, uh, there is that, like you said, it's all about his, like, degeneration into this animalistic state. Mm-hmm. It is, like, the the juxtaposition of the actual animal
0: mm-hmm.
1: and Jack's face.
0: Like, oh, you see this animal? Let me zoom into it. <laughs>
1: <Right>. <laughs> Let's go in real tight with our, obviously they weren't using the 18 millimeter lens for this. <laughs> no, no, no.
0: <laughs> well, and something else that I, I noticed with that too is that, and, and it, I will address the fact that obviously it could just be because of the fact that he's looking out of a window and there's sunshine outside and it's reflecting,
1: but, but there's not sunshine outside, it's a snowstorm.
0: Well, it's a snowstorm, but like the white net, like the white... Right, that's true. Snowstorms are bright. The light reflect, yes. yeah. Snowstorms um, are bright. However, if you notice his eyes, his eyes have the same light net that Danny does when he shines, and Dick when he shines.
1: Ooh. I didn't notice that.
0: Ha ha! And as Dick mentioned the hotel shines itself.
1: Right. So is the hotel shining to Jack? Thing? Huh? 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 Yeah. The, the interplay. And again, I think, I think we mentioned this already, but, but the, the ambiguity of how much of it is the hotel and how much of it is that is Jack. Right. And how much of it is Danny. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Danny at least creates the conditions for his father's death.
0: hmm
1: Whether or not a six-year-old is consciously saying, if I get him lost in his head's mage, he's going to freeze to death. Right. Right? Um, but we were talking about when Wendy starts to see things. hmm Which she does not until the very end. Like, until they are in the full throes of it. Mm-hmm. Like she walks into the, she walks into the gold room in the middle of Jack's conversation with Lloyd and Lloyd's gone. Right. And so is the bourbon.
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: She, she never goes into room 237 herself. Right. Oh, can we talk about, however, like the fact that, uh, since I, I talked about it so like extensively and forgot to mention this, that like. Him telling her that he didn't say anything in room two thirty seven is a classic example of gaslighting. (laughs) Oh yeah. Like just more abusive assholes. But anyway, it's neither here nor there. (laughs) But it's true. (laughs) It's true, but like you get it. Right. It's an abusive asshole. Um so the thought that I had was why does Wendy suddenly start seeing things? Is it the hotel revealing itself to her? If so, why?
0: Right. Why would it?
1: Why would it? Like what's the point? Or is it Danny? I think I mentioned that it sure seems like Danny lures his father away from his mother.
0: hmm
1: Right. That that obvious obviously Wendy is in protect my child mode, right? right. As you would be. Like that would be your primary concern. It's right. like she gets him out of the hotel. He runs immediately back into the hotel. Yeah. Right? And lures his father outside.
0: Mm-hmm. And even like when he was hiding behind the snowcat, like peered out far enough for him to clearly see him. And that right.
1: man. No, he lures him into the yeah. hedge mace. Mm-hmm. Lures him outside, first of all.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Out of the place that is giving him the power. Mm-hmm. Out from the place that where he has the power. Into the place that he has not gone. Because I don't think, even when, uh, even when Allman is giving them the tour at the beginning, they don't go through the hedge maze. They just walk past it. Right. So you never see, at least as the viewer, you never see Jack go into the hedge maze until the, final, until the time he does, that mm-hmm. leads to his death. Right? right. So Wendy, while all of this is going on, is, is running somewhat aimlessly through the hotel, being shown horrific images at every turn and getting more and more disoriented. Right. Until she finally gets out the door.
0: Mm hmm.
1: Is it possible that Danny, whose shine is clearly very strong, has the power to show her those things to keep her distracted and disoriented so that she does not try to get Jack away from him? Mm hmm. So that he can take care of Jack.
0: It is a beautiful thought process, and I love that <laughs> theory so much. Because <laughs> he's not a dumb child.
1: No, he's not. And he's not... He also... He also knows a whole lot more about the world. hmm And... When they are in the car, they talk about the Donner Party. And Jack specifically frames it as something that those people had to do to survive and not necessarily something they did that was evil. Right. Right. They ate each other up because they had to in order to survive. I don't think that... I do think that Danny meant for his father to die, but not because he's evil, because he was doing what he had to do for he and his mother to survive. Mm Mm-hmm. Because he also is obviously a worldly child, right? Being psychic and all. He clearly notices his dad going crazy before his mother does.
0: Absolutely. He's worried that he's going to, his father is going to hurt him and his mother.
1: That's true. He asks him that before anything happens.
0: Yeah. Like, the worst that happens is he's an asshole to Wendy.
1: Right, and and just verbally. Right. Like, he doesn't...
0: He's not physically abusive at all.
1: Right, until he's trying to kill them. Right. That is, that is you know, the only time he lays a... Well, and really, he doesn't even manage to lay a hand on them. But the only time he even right. tries to lay a hand on them in anger is when he's already to the point of trying to kill them. Mm-hmm. At least as far as we see. Right. Right. um, But, you know, it's a film, so... We have to assume that we've been shown everything that's important. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's a Kubrick film, so we've definitely been shown everything Yes, that's important. But I love, because so much of this movie, in so much of this movie, Danny is so precocious and worldly and seeing these terrible things that, and like, it is obviously right before the shit really hits the fan but i love that he's using the darker part of the hexagonal carpet as a road for his trucks because it is such a child thing to do right right like he saw it and he was like oh i can play with this mhm like he sees this carpet pattern and he's like oh look it's a road <laughs> like his imagination just took over this is a great shot so when he is walking into 237 speaking of that scene Which we are watching. Really not supposed to be a watch-along, I promise. Um, Two things are striking to me about this scene. Room 237 is not at the end of a hallway. So There is so much sort of, um, how do I put this? <laughs> this film is very linear. Right. Right. So you are watching Danny go down the hallway. The camera is directly behind him. hmm Right. The reverse shot goes, flips 180, right, over the, what is that called? Is it just the 180 degree line? Is that what they call it? you're supposed to, like, establish it so that you can, like, go back and forth and make it look like it. Anyway. Um, it doesn't matter. But.
0: <laughs> I think I don't know. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> when they do the reverse shot, it is directly in front of him. Right. Right. Then they go back to the reverse shot. You're looking at the twins who mm-hmm. are at the end of the hallway. Right. Right. Reverse shot back to Danny's face. There is no angle. It is straight, 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 straight. Mm-hmm. You are looking straight at it. Most of the film is like that. Except for when he's walking toward 237. Because he gets up, and it's not the room at the end of the hallway. hmm He has to veer off to his right to go into the room. And in this movie, where they built these giant rigs to keep the camera steady. Mm-hmm. There, it's a handheld camera, and somebody is walking. Oh yeah, so that it looks like you are seeing exactly what Danny is seeing, right? Right down to he's walking, so the world is swaying a little bit, mm-hmm. right? And then he veers off this very even the even the pattern of the carpet, right? Like right. We, we've talked about the strong patterns on the carpets. Mm-hmm. The pattern of the carpet is guiding him past room 237 right those lines go straight down the hallway Mm -hmm. and he veers off into the room it is a moment of departure yeah which ties into i think the apollo 11 shirt but the the it is the moment of departure from reality right where the world thus far While it has been scary at times, the things that he's seen, he has never directly interacted with those things. And as Mr. Holloran told him, they were just like pictures in a book. They can't hurt him. Right. When he goes into room 237, when he veers off into this alternate reality, mm-hmm. that that vision, that ghost, that shine, whatever you want to characterize the woman in the bathtub as mm-hmm. lays a hand on him. Right. And it does hurt it, And she is not a picture in a book. Mr. Halloween was wrong. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just think it's really interesting that he didn't put, I just think it's really interesting with like, as because there are so many, like just reverse cuts. Right. Where like, this is a very linear film. Mm hmm. That that all of a sudden in this crucial moment, even when Wendy is, is hiding in the bathroom. Yeah. The camera moves, the camera jumps from one side of the wall to the other. Mm -hmm. Right. It does not flip. You see from the right side, I believe. I've always been kind of bad with my right and left, so I apologize if that's wrong, but.
0: Of Jack. Of Jack. Yeah, it's right. It's the right side.
1: You see from his right side, he, in profile, Mm -hmm. hitting the door, throwing the the axe at the door. Mm -hmm. Right? Then the camera is in that same spot in the bathroom. Right. It's as if it's just passed through the wall and is now looking straight at Wendy's face Mm -hmm. as she is cowering in the corner. Right. Right? So even those moments... And of course, very famously, there is the scene where su- where Jack suddenly starts talking to Lloyd and he's looking directly into the camera. Right. Which is, you know, just a glorious piece of filmmaking. Because you're like, yeah. <laughs> like, <"What?"> <laughs> <laughs> suddenly he's looking right at you and you're like, what? They don't usually do that in films. So you know?
0: Right. Jack Nicholson, please stop. <laughs> <Right>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> please don't look at me. Please don't look at me. I'm uncomfortable. Your eyebrows are scary. <laughs> Sir, I respect you very much. Your eyebrows are sick. Tr-
0: so, I know that we kind of started talking a little bit about the documentary to Room 237. Yes. Um, and I think that we should continue to talk about it. Mm-hmm. However, um, Katie and I decided that we're actually going to do a separate episode on that.
1: Yes, to avoid this episode being eight hours long.
0: Yeah, um, because we're probably at about two now, roughly. We're gonna see. We're gonna see how much we need to cut this bad boy down. But um, how much
1: we can cut it down? Because yeah. we definitely raw recording. We have two hours and forty minutes. It is almost as long as the film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, not supposed mm-hmm. to be a watch along.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but
1: I mean, if you have it in
0: the background, it's totally fine.
1: I mean, go for it. Have at it. Go for it.
0: Um, so yes, so we will have a separate episode, uh, TBD on the release of that one, but it will be coming
1: soon. Yeah. Yeah. Looking forward to that. Mm -hmm. That'll be fun. That'll be fun to talk about. It's an interesting, it's certainly an interesting documentary. Yes. Um, until then. Follow follow us. (laughs) On, uh, Spotify, Mm -hmm. rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Mm -hmm. We have an Instagram called F and Frights Podcast. We have a Twitter called FN Frights Pod. We have uh, a Facebook page that if you just search Friday Night Frights Podcast will pop up there for you. Mm-hmm. We have a website, Frights And you can also email us at scream at effrightspodcast.com. So mm-hmm. go ahead and scream at us.
0: Scream
1: at us. <laughs> We will be back next week with uh Child's Play. Yeah. Which I'm very excited about. Child's yeah. Play was one of my favorites as a kid. I loved the Chucky movies. I mean, and especially
0: the like I I enjoy most of the sequels too. I most. Um, I mean, yeah. <laughs> for different reasons, really it's for a, all of them.
1: It's a horror movie franchise. Right. It's, you know,
0: it went it went about the similar aspect of like Nightmare on Elm Street where but like where Nightmare on Elm Street like started off mostly serious and had like a little bit of goofy. Well, I guess this was too. I'm gonna I'm gonna take back that statement that I was about to say. They both went an, a similar path of they started off mostly serious and then got very goofy.
1: Then of course there is Fright Club, our Patreon. Um, if you would like to uh, throw us some support, we would greatly appreciate that. We have the scream along for Chopping Mall. Mm-hmm. up there right now we're going to do a scream along for jack frost too yes um and and there will be much more to come on on fright club but mm-hmm. uh let us know what you would like to see from fright club um and it would be awesome if you uh would put some some sort of put some sort of faith in us and throw us some support so we can make some of those things happen for you right for sure um And, Sean, what is the first rule of Freight Club?
0: The first rule of Freight Club is to go outside.
1: Go outside once in a while.
0: Get some air. Mm -hmm. Um, Just overall, maybe avoid isolation. Mm -hmm. Perhaps avoid uh, isolation in a hotel in the middle of a mountain.
1: In particular. Like, don't go anywhere where, you know, hotels, snowbound hotels, lighthouses, anywhere where, like, you know you won't be able to avoid the isolation like everyone loves a little alone time i Mm, think that mm -hmm. we've all had our fill of it after this past year (laughs) yes um but you know so particularly in in this this these pandemic times mental health is important go outside go go talk to a human Mm
0: -hmm.
1: don't talk to the ghosts no no there you go that's a good rule don't talk to the ghosts always (laughs) ends badly (laughs)
0: It's going to be a bad time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And so, gays and ghouls, join us next Friday night. You'll be in for a fright.
0: And until then, sleep tight. Mm -hmm.